Hello, are we on the air yet? Welcome to the Core Performance Podcast, taking you one step closer to self-mastery on and off the course. Fire up that growth mindset, and let's dive into the core of elite golf and human performance. Now, here's your hosts, Ian Highfield and Andrew Losey. Hello and welcome to the Core Performance Podcast. I am your host, Ian Highfield, and on today's show, we are going to tackle the golf's mental game. Now, as a coach, uh, and I'm sure this will resonate with some of the parents that, that tune in to this podcast of maybe junior golfers, junior athletes, or just parents in general, often you can be giving your child great advice. Uh, and ultimately, they're not going to listen to you because you are their parent. Uh, and probably you're telling them what time to go to bed. You're telling your child what vegetables they need to eat, etc., etc., etc. And unfortunately, the, the, the child becomes a little bit immune to your voice. So even if the advice you're giving is awesome, it's not always heard. Uh, and as a coach, it can be the same. As a coach, we can give some great advice, but the coaching program that I'm involved in is based around long-term athletic development, which is brilliant. It gives us at least a year with each one of our core academy members. But sometimes when you're at sessions with these junior golfers week in, week out, and you're re reiterating the same message... Um, Unfortunately, they can get used to their voice uh, and it can fall on deaf ears at some time. So that's why we have the Core Performance Podcast, because we can call in experts and we can have our junior golfers, athletes all over that tune in and listen to this podcast and high performers everywhere, hear consistent messages uh, about mindset, about golfing performance, but not always from the same voice. Uh, and today's voice... The person we have on the show is a brilliant one. He is Colin Morikawa's coach. Colin is obviously, we know that name, he's a multiple major winner and PGA Tour player, and he's just an all-round awesome human being. Uh, and Rick joins me, and we have an absolutely awesome conversation on golf's mental game uh, and some great pieces of mental game coaching advice that can be applied into your golf and into your life if you yourself want to become a high performer. So grab a pen and paper, maybe put a coffee on, sit back, relax, and enjoy the words of wisdom from Rick Sessenhaus, who is Colin Morikawa's coach. Hey, Rick, are you there? Can you hear me? I can. How are hey, you, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing wonderful. What's uh, what's going on in your world? Uh, let's see. I was at uh, the uh, Memorial last week. Uh, I'm going to the U.S. Open, obviously, for next week and doing a little coaching this week. So it's been, uh, as you know, you got to juggle those balls up. In the <laughs> yes, I do know that. I do know that very well. Unfortunately, the, with me, the podcast and, and things like that, it, it falls on the wayside a little bit. So uh, I'm glad we managed to find 
50 minutes maybe where we're both yeah. on the uh on the on the same <laughs> schedule um exactly perfect so are you looking forward to the u.s open i am uh for many reasons i mean obviously it's a major and it's a golf course that um i'm i i'm it's going to be very, very intriguing because it's a composite course and i've even heard they're using tees on one course to a hole on another golf course and just kind of really weird stuff so i'm looking forward to uh walking around there wow well you think it's like 25 minutes down the road from me so you'd think i'd be able to uh to answer those those questions or or further up those statements i have no idea <laughs> no idea yeah it, it's going to be very interesting to say the least so uh yeah looking forward to it for sure awesome so all, all we're doing we're obviously doing a we're going to do a podcast and, and the, the, the key for it really is um, for junior golfers. Awesome. Um, I, I run a, a junior golf academy and I think I've been there 15 months. So I'll see the look in some of the kids' eyes when I start talking about process or dealing with adversity or adapting and, you know, take that extra deep breath. And I see their eyes like, oh, God, <laughs> not this again. So... <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm going to leverage Colin Morikawa's coach to come and back up, back up my <laughs> words. Um, so to, to be honest as well, Rick, I like the way that, that this has started and I've already pressed record. So we'll, we'll just keep rolling. I'm just going to play it. it. And this is just an organic, uh, organic chat. So why don't you kick off? Just, just tell us a little bit about your journey into golf. Cause I, it, it's, you really have skilled yourself in, in, in multiple areas of the game. So me personally, I would love to know your edu your education into the game, your, your pathway into the game, a little bit more um, about you. And then obviously when we chatted at the masters, I, I know what you're doing now. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit more then about what your philosophy is for, for, for the golfer and, and let's say that at juniors. So yeah, fire away, sure. Rick, introduce yourself and I'll, I'll pass the baton over to you. Yeah. So, you know, I've been born and raised in the Los Angeles area here in um, Burbank, California, and I was introduced to golf later than other sports. Now, when I say late, you know, it's 12 and a half years old, 13 years old. I know it doesn't seem like that late, but nowadays it seems like that's late for juniors. Um, played a lot of other sports before I played golf. And I remember when I had my first experience with golf, I came home, I told my dad, Hey, I play, I'm playing this game golf. I just love it. He goes, you're going to go take lessons immediately. I, I made the mistake of not taking lessons. So it was, it was great that my dad saw getting coaching at an early age was going to be beneficial for me. It was different than the other, uh, I was playing baseball, basketball, football. I did play some tennis. So that's an individual sport. And so I just got locked into it and it was one of many sports I played for a few years. And then I stopped playing football. I got hurt and about 15, 16, I became golf was my sport. What, what, what um, position did you play at football? I played quarterback for one year at a high school wow. level. Um, I wasn't that great. Um, I was more of um, what we'll get. I know we'll talk about this more on the mental side of golf is that I felt I had a good um, football IQ. My dad was a football coach, so I could read defenses. I could uh, understand offenses quite easily. It didn't mean I had the best physical talent. But I was put in that role because um, I knew situations. And that's something, again, you and I definitely coach. And actually, that's what led me to some of this coaching later on in life in golf was I didn't think golfers were practicing enough in situations. 
And in football, we did most of our practice in situations, whether it's, hey, Rick, you're the quarterback, you have two timeouts left, a minute and 20 seconds on, you have to go 70 yards. I mean, everything was very much playing it as a game. And we had consequences. If we didn't do well, you had to run laps. I mean, there was things going on. And I never saw that in golf per se. So I was fortunate to be able to play in some different sports. And then when I played golf, got some good coaching, um, didn't play much junior golf, to be honest with you, played some high school, school golf. And yet I got obsessed more and more with it. Um, said, I want to play college golf. I uh, walked on at Cal State Northridge, a division one school here in Los Angeles area. I did not make it the first time. I'll be honest. I walked on, was not ready. And I was very fortunate that, that coach allowed walk-on process and I was allowed the next year to try and I did do it. And very proud of that, by the way. That's yeah, one good of my for big, you. big moments is that, you know, I was kind of naive to how good these players were and I'm going, okay, I, you know, I, I'm a plus two <laughs> handicap. I'll get out there. And I go, holy smokes, there's some good players out there. Um, so I, I had a mediocre uh, college career, but it was, it was so important for me to compete uh, at a, a fairly decent level, uh, I believe, as a coach to help others uh, when they're going through the pressures and stuff of, of tournament golf. I then just love golf so much that I transitioned to coaching and became a member of the PGA and a more of a typical swing coach, do you know, 50, 40 to 50 lessons a week. Uh, what was your route? On- Rick, into the PGA, were you like a PGM student or were you like an assistant that then did the PGA? Like, how did you, how did you go about that? Yeah, exactly. I became an assistant at a, a, a small little public golf course here in the Los Angeles area. And I was fortunate that they said, okay, we'll allow you to teach, but you do have to work in the pro shop. You do have to, you know, and I already had some experience working in a pro shop area, but now it's more like, this is going to be my career. I want to be a coach. And I was super fortunate that Shoal Canyon Golf Course in Glendale allowed me that opportunity to become a coach. Now it was, it, it, I don't want to speak for you, but it was ugly at first. I mean, I made a ton of mistakes as a coach and uh, overcoached and did all these things that, you know, I look back at, but you have to start somewhere. Yeah. Right. And I was given a great opportunity to do junior camps and do things to uh, find my way in that. And then um, I was fortunate, again, I keep saying that, is that they allowed me to start my own business there. And I was an independent contractor. Um, I could market how I wanted. I could show up when I wanted. And um, not a lot of pros are allowed that kind of um, latitude to be able to start that. And so I was fortunate that I could have a a full-time, what probably took me about a year to become now a full-time instructor. I didn't need to teach or uh, be in the pro shop as much to, to get money. And, um, and I just became obsessed with the golf swing and, and, uh, read all the books and went to different teachers and tried to develop my own philosophy, certainly. But at that point, I thought it was all about perfect, uh, golf swing positions and you had to be in, this is before everybody knew about P2, P3, but you know, you're getting into these different, uh, takeaway positions and planes and stuff. And, um, and I thought that's what golf was about. Um, and I thought being able to, teach people the proper mechanics that that was going to lead to lower scores. And unfortunately I didn't see that. I saw some improvement. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was a, a, a pretty good swing coach, but I didn't see it translate to, Hey Rick, I'm really shooting lower scores. And so I started to think about my own game and go, I was always told Rick, you have a very good golf swing or you're a very good ball striker. And I'm going, yeah, but I'm still shooting 75 all the time in these tournaments there was a disconnect. Yeah. So I knew I, I had issues in college. I was a hothead. Um, so 
I was very frustrated golfer when I, I can't actually golf shit. knowing you now and speaking to you and seeing you around. I, I actually can't see that. I can't believe that. So that's it, quite it, interesting. It, it, no, and people say that all the time, but, but, and, and this is something that I want juniors to understand is that I grew up in a football family and it was about intensity. It was about you. Yeah. You, you, you make a mistake. You just rip somebody's head off on the next play. It's like that. And so in golf, I thought, oh, it was about high intensity. It was about caring. It was about showing people that, yeah, this is not who I am. And I'm slamming clubs. <laughs> I, I honestly didn't have um, a good way of processing that. And that's something I, I talk about post-shot routine a lot, about assessing and about feedback loops, about it, just because they had a bad shot doesn't mean it's the end of the world. But back then, honestly, it was, oh my gosh, I made another bogey. This is the end of the world. And I, I did not have those skills. So, uh, yes, off the golf course, I don't, I rarely am a hothead. I don't think I have a temper issue, but I did not know how to deal with when my expectations weren't met. Got and, good, and so yeah. that's, I think that's helped me as a coach understand when a player is frustrated, when they're disappointed, I want to be able to talk to them and say, Hey, I know you care. Okay. Um, so, so let's process this instead of just be critical and judgmental which doesn't get us anywhere. So I started seeing this is that one, I wasn't getting players to shoot the scores I thought they should because I thought I was giving them great advice and stuff. And then the other part was the enjoyment factor, which is they're coming back and they're still frustrated. I'm going, I think my job as a coach is for them to play better. But, you know, we talk about growing the game now. Oh, grow the game. Well, you want to enjoy something you're doing. And so that's when I started going down that rabbit hole, the mental game. I did see a sports psychologist when I was um, in, in college slash turning pro. So I had a little bit of an experience. Now I'm 51 years old. So this is, you know, this is a while ago, 30 years ago that I'm going down this rabbit hole, reading the books and, 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 and there was some really solid information, but I still thought there was a disconnect with how do you apply it, how you train it. Um, and so then I'm going, how do we train these, you know, cause it's not about just positive thinking and it's not just taking one breath and everything's fine. And so I had to get more into how do I actually apply and how does this make somebody in the moment get better, but off the golf course, how do you train it? How do you? And so that's kind of when I went down rabbit hole, I started studying things like uh, NLP, neuro linguistic programming mm -hmm. and other things. And then I found a, a program here in California where I had a master's and a, um, and a doctorate in applied sports psychology, which really resonated with me because it was based on um, applied sports psychology, which is things that have already been researched, the things that have been proven that help um, peak performance perform under pressure. And, and, and so I, I was really excited about that. And then I wrote a book. And, um, and then from there, I started to see me be, from I, becoming a teacher, it became I'm becoming a coach. And I do oh. think there's a distinct difference is when I was a teacher, I'm just telling people what to do. As a coach, I want to make it um, of a more integrated approach. I want to ask them questions. I want to get to know them. I want to, and and so that helped me, I think, get to that next level as just a coach, much less a mental game coach, but just as a coach. And then I started, you know, I became TPI certified. I wanted to get a little bit of everything and understand the, all the puzzle pieces. Yeah. But my pat my passions with the mental game, and so. I kept going down more and more and more of that road. And I've been coaching now 28 years. And I would say the last 10 years, it's been mostly mental game. I certainly still coach um, the golf swing uh, with some of my, my clients. And I think, and you know, this is when we get to now coach, 
we get to see what works and what doesn't. And we get to, to figure things out more and being able to be a full-time coach, working with so many good junior golfers and college players and some professionals. And then certainly, um, you know, being able to, to work with Colin Morikawa since he's eight years old and being his swing coach and mental coach and seeing him go through that journey. And to this day, um, you know, I get to learn from him. I get to learn from all these great players. Um, I'm still evolving as a coach. Yeah. Um, but I still go back to the day when I'm a 13 year old hitting balls of, you know, what am I experiencing and what are the, some of the doubts I'm having and the interferences I'm having. And I, I want to come as a coach to people as a player first, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, Hey, I know what you're going through, man. I, <laughs> because I, I don't want it to just be, here's five steps and you're automatically in a flow state, which I do teach flow. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think there's, I want to know the person and, and, and develop. So um, I know that's a, a long answer to kind of the original, but that's kind of where I'm at now. And I still look at the different puzzle pieces that pr produce performance. And um, I've in the last few years, really gone down another rabbit hole called flow states and, and the ability to be at our best um, uh, optimally. And that I believe that's something that can be trained. Awesome. So I, I love the answer because it's allowed me to pick up on a couple of things and ask questions. And uh, these questions are for me, not the listeners, because sometimes <laughs> I get sometimes I get selfish. Um, what what books um, did you did you read that really had an impact on like your philosophy and and your beliefs uh, and really start to, you know, you you sometimes read a book and you're like, oh, I got to. I'm very much in agreement with what you said. I'll I'll read a book and I'll be like. I got to figure out how to get that into my coaching framework and how I practically apply that. Like, how do I put that into a session and how do I get someone to really not just have the information, but actually live the, the, the words that are coming out my mouth. So what books really sort of fed into your coaching philosophy? Yeah, great question. I think early on, uh, Tony Robbins unlimited power mm -hmm. was kind of one of the first ones that, um, I'm very much into personal development uh, just for myself because I, Hey, I've had my own, like say frustrations on the golf course, my own struggles in life. And, and I feel like we can train and develop as people. And so Tony Robbins unlimited power was a very important one because it was a lot of tools, a lot of strategies. It wasn't just, Hey, positive thinking. Um, and I ended up going to one of his seminars where you walk across the fire and across me the, too. Um, me too. That, yeah. Woo, and, right? and, uh, and Zach, I did it with Zach who you met at the masters oh, yeah. did it together. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Yeah. And we know that's a metaphor for dealing with fear and, and, and yet we had to be, and that's very much what started me going down the road of performance is state dependent. What state am I in before an event? Now, me as a golfer, me as a speaker, me as a, a parent, those are maybe different states that are required, but I was much more now aware of my state, uh, my belief systems, what I'm focusing on, my values, um, you know, those type of things. So that really opened my eyes to that. And then that led me into more of a neuro-linguistic programming and, and how we communicate the world to ourselves and filter things in, you know, and my big belief in this, my belief is perception is reality. So how you perceive the world is your reality. Yep. And I can look at this golf hole and go, oh, I hate back right hole locations. Oh my gosh, I like to draw the ball, blah, blah, blah. Or I can go, it's a back right hole location, which this is a cool opportunity to hit a little cut. Yeah. It's the same environment perceived differently. So I think early on with, with neuro-linguistic programming of how we communicate the world, that was instrumental 
in me as a person, but me as a coach? How could I push against people's belief systems or perceptions that were interfering with their performance? And then fast forward, another book that's been extremely important for me in the last, uh, I want to say it was written six, seven years ago. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he wrote a mm. book called uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And it was, it was an intriguing book for a few reasons, because it helped me understand a little bit more about emotional states, uh, about how we as people are addicted to sometimes our emotions. So it, it wouldn't make any sense outside looking in why I got frustrated on a golf course, why I got angry on a golf course. But now that I look back at it in that moment, I rationalized it in the moment. It felt powerful when we're frustrated, when we feel alive, we feel, I know some people say that's negative, but we get used to that. That's who I am. Right. I'm this competitor who gets mad. Right. And, and I go, wait a second, that's not who I want to be. Right. And, and I think some people, they, they get addicted literally to different behavioral patterns because yes. it's, it's very, um, well, it's, it's become who they are. So you're breaking the habit of being yourself. You created a habit. Well, that's just who I am. I'm frustrated. That's just who I am. It's like, Ooh, time out. You, you have a choice here. And so that book really helped again, help me understand that we throughout the daily life, we do have choices yet. We do tend to run the same patterns over and over and over again. And we can't interrupt those patterns. So those are the two big books for me, kind of like what started and where I'm at now. Um, there's certainly other influences I've had along the way. And then you've got your own book. So this is it. Famous <laughs> plug time. Let's go. There so you go. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So no, I, I wrote a book about 16 years ago called, you know, uh, Golf, the Ultimate Mind Game. It actually became my final project for my doctorate uh, degree. Uh, it, it's, I could either publish a book or I do a research. I said, yeah, Hey, let's, let's publish that book. Not knowing, of course, it takes a lot of time, as you know, and it takes a lot of uh, tears. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I'm proud of it. I think at first I was very much like, I'm going to write the greatest book on mental game, sports psychology, and it's going to be 400 pages long. And then I looked at myself, I go, who the hell wants to read that? Right. Um, but I, 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 I'm proud of it because I think it's a very good beginner intermediate uh, book on the mental game skills. I've been told people say, Hey, I can apply it. I go, great. That's all I wanted. Uh, I'm writing another book now that, that goes in a slightly different direction. I have another platform flow code that, that goes into a little bit more specifics on stuff, but yeah, I mean, I, I felt that in, in, in golf mental game, I'm not talking swing cause we have plenty of information on swing. How do we, um, apply strategies? How do we improve skill sets of the mental side? And I thought, you know, I ask three questions from every new client. Um, is the mental game important? Everybody says, yes. Do you train the mental game? Everybody says no. So we have a disconnect. So I said, Hmm, why aren't we training it? And I think part of it is we don't know how to define it. So the third question is how do you define it? And for all the listeners, you may have an answer and it's probably correct for you. So I look at the mental game, it has different fundamentals, just like a golf swing. And in my book, every chapter is a different fundamental, whether it's motivation or goal setting or practice awesome. or tournament prep. But I think the big three that you and I always would talk about would be focus, confidence, and emotional management. And if we just looked at those as skills, like I can improve my focus, I can improve my confidence, I can improve my management of emotions. 
I think we're moving in the right direction. Now that may all lead to commitment to shot and all these other things that a, a pre-shot routine and a process should do. I get that, but I want people to understand that focus, what I pay attention to is a skill. And when my attention is not on what's relevant, that's a distraction. Okay. Yeah. How do I bring my attention back? So I'm, I'm, uh, that book was a very, again, I would say entry level to intermediate level of saying, Hey, here's some skills you may want to think about, and you can actually do something about it. <laughs> okay. Um, and I, you know, I would say I still stand by 95% of what's in there. I've evolved as a coach for the last 16 years, but I think it's a good framework to, to begin with. Yeah. It's interesting when you read a book that you've written, I'll sometimes look and I'll read and I'll be like, Whoa, did I write that? That's amazing. <laughs> Did really? I produced that. And then other times I'll look and I'll be like, oh, I wrote that. Oh, I should not have said it like that. That's really bad. <laughs> so it, it, there is a weird thing about writing yes. a book that you've almost got this locker of past thoughts and, and past philosophies. And th there's a lot of things in, in mind that I probably still coach, but I think I just coach them in a more concise less wordy fashion maybe um but yeah it, it's always interesting uh looking back and and seeing that do you, do you go in and, and read it much at all or a, a little bit because we utilize some of this for my my new platform yeah. uh flow code and we use it as kind of some baseline stuff uh and as a manual and stuff like that awesome. and and I look back and I go, okay, that's pretty solid. Or, Hey, like you said, you actually said it perfectly. I had an editor for that book and it wasn't about adding anything. It was always about subtracting. It was about making it more concise. It was improving yeah. the communication of it. And I feel, um, that, yeah. And that's the same thing with all content producing, right. Is that, and you probably already see this. I can talk forever, uh, on things. Um, Me too. Yeah, that's why, that's why I'm glad you put a 50 minute cap on this. Otherwise it could be a, this could be a Joe Rogan podcast if we're not we'll careful. Go, we'll go part two another time. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but I think it is, it, especially in a book format is to, to make it concise, to make the reader understand they can apply it quickly. Um, and, uh, and such. So it, it is, you know, um, a process that, uh, was challenging. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of, of, of it. Um, and it, and it's helped me moving forward because, and that's for anything. And, and I'm going a little sideways with you on this, but with golfers out there, we talk about confidence and sometimes confidence is about doing the things you say you're going to do. And even if it doesn't work out great, you can look back and say, wait, I, I worked my butt off and I did that. And, and then that, if I can be true to myself and do that, that helps as you move forward with other challenges. Yeah. I, I, I like that. Cause you know, again, me, our backgrounds are so similar. My dad was an elite rugby coach. I played rugby similar to you. I could, I could, my brain could see exactly what was going to happen, but sometimes <laughs> my body didn't keep up. Um, and then uh, played a bit of golf towards the end of college and, and played some amateur golf. So our, and the same reading, I've done the NLP qualifications. I've, I've read the sports psychology stuff. So I feel like that was almost just why we connected immediately when, when we sat down talking, yeah. like we've got the same background and we've got almost like the, the, the same reading lists. Um, so confidence is a, is a funny one because that what you've said really resonates with me because I think, I think confidence, it's something that everyone's striving for. Um, I don't 
think they know how simple, like you said, it can be to, to get just doing the, the very basic things that you say you're going to do, just actually doing them. Um, and then I think, and I'd like you to build on this. I think confidence is perceived as this absolute, almost like esoteric, arrogant, like nothing is ever going to go wrong. I am like made of steel and everyone move out my way. And I don't do you remember. Well, you, you will obviously remember this. The, the FedEx when Tiger won and the crowds like it was at East Lake and the crowds came pouring in. Tiger get chunks it out the bunker to whatever feet, two pots, gets his win. It's like that iconic picture. They say, Tiger, what are you thinking about as you're walking down the last? And he's like, I'm thinking about I can blade this out the bunker and still lose this tournament. And I'm like, I gotta, I've got to play that to, to every single professional college player and, and junior golfer that I work with because this is the most confident guy on the planet when it comes to closing out a golf tournament. But look how he's, look at the thoughts that he's having. And it's not that that thought is making him unconfident. He just right. knows how to deal with that thought. So I would love to just jump into confidence. Just, you know, we didn't know where this podcast was going to go, but I want to take it down there. Can you expand a little bit on yeah. your book and the flow code and, and the, the, your perception of confidence and how you're teaching it? Sure. So I start with the basic of what is confidence. And we can say it's a belief in your ability for the task at hand, right? I believe I have the ability to match this. In flow, we call it challenge versus skills. Um, is that do I believe I have the, the skills to match the current challenge that's in front of me, whether it's a three foot putt or a 200 yard four iron over the trees that I have to cut back? Do I believe I have the skills for that? Okay. So we start with the belief. Now, I then look at, is your confidence in that task sturdy or fragile? So I ask people, because um, most of the time I say, how do you get confidence? When do you feel confident? And the number one answer I always get is, well, I hit good shots. Well, then I'm a smart ass. I said, just keep it in good shots and you'll be confident. <laughs> so now we go, okay, there's a disconnect because we don't always hit good shots. So other than that current shot that made me feel good, what else could provide confidence? What could give me that, right? Because I go sturdy versus confidence. I said, how many good shots does it take for you to be confident? Somebody says, oh, a couple. How many poor shots does it take for you to lose confidence? And if it's one, then we have a very fragile mm. confidence, right? Okay. So I look sturdy versus fragile. So let's put that to the side right now and say, what would maybe help us be confident in the moment? And so I, I look at certainly past results. I think that's a big one. Yep. What does this shot remind me of? And flow, we call it pattern recognition. This reminds me of the, the four iron I hit two weeks ago that I hit to 15 feet was solid. Oh, okay. That's similar. So that's not making anything up. You've done it before. I'm going to bring that to the, this present shot. I've done it before. I can do it again. Got Along with that is self-talk. Self-talk has been proven as in the moment, extremely powerful, right? The, and you and I know from NLP, the words we use and how we say it to ourselves, the tone we say it is also going to affect our state that we're in. And it doesn't mean saying I'm the greatest player of all time, that kind of affirmation. It could be, I got the shot. I like the shot. This reminds me of this. I, and self-talk and past memories are now kind of linked. Awesome. Yep. I think, and this is something that, you know, I think you do a great job with, uh, with is practice, right? If I 
practice with the purpose, if I practice this past week, if I prepare, practice and preparation are slightly different, but let's put them together right now, I'm going to feel ready for that challenge. I'm going to feel ready. I put the time in. I put some efficient, effective time in. I'm ready. doesn't mean every shot you hit in practice was great. It just means you did the work and you get ready to go. So I look at past results. I look at self-talk. I look at practice. I, I look at how we carry ourselves posturally, mm-hmm. right? Uh, great book, uh, Amy Cuddy, Presence, uh, talked yeah. about you know, standing like Superman or, or Wonder Woman changes testosterone and cortisol levels. So it literally changes how you feel. So we have these things at our disposal and visualizing shots, right? I can see success happen. That gives me that. So I like to layer it a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, some people tend to prefer one of those methods over another. Great. But I like giving them menu options and saying, hey, could this happen? Now I go in NLP stuff of anchoring and stuff like that. Yeah, so I yeah. remember my best shot that I hit and how it felt and when it happened and where, and I'm putting myself back into that state. That's another level of confidence. So I know I can keep rambling here, but those are the things that I tap into in some, with somebody to say, you have a choice. I could focus on a past great result. I could focus on success of visualizing the shot. I could focus, but people do revert back to, well, I don't like the shot and they go back to limiting belief systems. And then we, so there's, there's stuff that we have to be aware of for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, anchoring, uh, obviously I know, I know what it is. Um, I've, I've used it personally. Uh, I would say, uh, when I was, uh, when I was younger, I had, uh, a little, mishap with overspending on certain credit cards. So I started to ignore uh, statements and I was doing the NLP stuff at the time. And I actually created an anchor that would get me fired up and positive to actually go and open my credit card statements and deal with it. Can you believe that? And I can't believe it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. The, 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 the crazy thing as well was half of the debt was built up from doing the, doing these courses and doing all the reading. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I used it in, in that sense and it, and it really helped me. And, um, I actually use it before I speak, you know, like you and I, we, from, from time to time, we will give talks and it's a busy room. I I use anchoring before I, I go on stage. And so I know it, I know it works, but again, no one wants to hear it from me right now. So let's go. (laughs) Can you explain what anchoring is and, and how you use it and, and any players sure. that have had great success with it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, how I'll pose it first is that we have a lot of negative anchors and triggers in our environment. So what used to be for me is, uh, let's say I hit my approach shot to eight feet. I then literally grabbed the putter out of my bag. That was a negative anchor because I had a belief system. I was a poor putter. I don't like downhill eight footers. It would just trigger a lot of negative emotion. Okay. Um, at the time I didn't realize it was affecting my state as much, but now I look back and I go, wow, just me seeing the putter created an association, which now created a different state, whether it was doubt or fear or something. Okay. Now we flip it and we say, we can create a trigger. We can create an anchor. And so uh, you can do this many different ways. And we actually have some positive anchors when it comes to music. So I go drive down and my favorite Guns N' Roses song comes on. I will change state. Okay. Welcome to the jungle. You betcha. There you go. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) So, so now, 
my state, even though maybe I was thinking of something stressful, has shifted because my focus has shifted. This music brings me back to, you know, whenever it was. And, and now I have a positive association. But we can now actually put an anchor in. Okay. And so for me to use the example of, um, I use a kinesthetic anchor. So when I put my thumb and forefinger together, it reminds me of the greatest shot I've ever hit. Now it happened in 1994. I know it was a long time ago for everybody, but it was a very important day for me. I was playing in a, a, in a tournament. I ended up making Eagle on that hole and going Eagle, Eagle on back-to-back par fives and being the first round leader. But I wrap into and go, what did I, what was I seeing? What was I feeling? What was I smelling? What was I, and I can tell you to this day, it happened a long time ago, everybody. But I remember as a tailor-made tour preferred seven degree head with a Max Y Bellata ball. It was in June, late June. It was hot outside and it was at the sixth hole at the Griffith. I can go over all the stuff. But what I'm anchoring is the feeling of that ball coming off the face and how it was just exploding off of it and how my body felt so powerful and so smooth at the same time. I played that shot over, and I'm not exaggerating, but a hundred times. And then at the time that I felt most like it was like real, I would then press my thumb and forefinger together and over and over and over again. So now I associate that great shot with the thumb and forefinger. And I can use that in my pre-shot routine to change states, okay? We can use kinesthetics. Some people, once they put the glove on, the Velcro hits, that means focus. Or I, I move my hat on my, my head, or I say a certain word, or I look at something in my yardage book. We can have a different types of triggers uh, or anchors that would shift states. And so I think it's extremely powerful. Yeah, because I... I- what I've noticed is a lot of the junior golfers, their their brain or their thoughts is running them. And when you do this stuff, these things that you're saying, these strategies, you assume control. You take control back from your brain and you start to run you. And I think that's the one of the most critical things um, that you see from an elite player um, like they are running themselves. Um, yes. You know, at the Masters, everyone is so calm. Everyone is so cool, calm, and collective. And you go to Q School, European Tour Q School Stage Two, and it's absolute panic. It's like it's like there's a it's like there's a fire on the range or something. And like I'm waiting for trucks to come and helicopters to land. Like it's sheer panic. So you see the difference and, and they're all elite players, right? And that, that's no disrespect totally. to the, to the Q school level two guys, but just this, the ability that these elite players have to run their own patterns, not have their thought patterns run them uh, is, is astonishing. Um, and any, you want to, you want to keep building? Cause those last couple of things we've talked about are awesome for, for junior golfers and any golfers to apply. Uh, let's go with we've got we got about ten minutes left. Let's give um, let's give one more of your sort of best mental game practical application sure. tools for a, let's let's aim it at the junior golfer. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to share two. I'm going to share okay, one perfect. on foc- one on focus and one on emotional management. Okay, so focus for me is like when you and I coach a junior golfer on a pre-shot routine. They all say, yeah, 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 Rick, I know how to, I know how to preach our routine, blah, blah, blah. And then when you really go deep into it, they're missing so many key elements of it. 
or they say, hey, yeah, Rick, I stand from behind it. I take a deep breath. I go into it. I go, okay, that's a physical routine, but you haven't told me anything about how you process Dude, I, the we've, I've never seen you coach and you've never seen me coach. And the kids at core are going to be like, he paid him. He paid him. He paid him to do this. It's literally that, that sentence is what I say. Sorry, carry on. That's awesome. But, but it's, it's true, isn't it? We get yeah. these players who, are, who have talent. Don't get me wrong. They're shooting in the mid-70s. Mid they know how to hit a ball. And you ask them about a pre-shot routine. I said, do you have a pre-shot routine? And their first answer is yes. And they give me everything that's physical about it. Oh, I stand behind it. I walk into it. I go, oh, okay, that's fine and dandy. And, and what does that help you do? And they don't really have a follow-up. I go, what does a pre-shot routine, what is it supposed to do? And I can get many answers, but let's just say it's to prepare to be at our best, okay? And I can prepare myself mentally, emotionally, and physically. So are you doing the things in that 30 seconds to prepare you mentally, emotionally, and physically? Most people, the answer is no. So I, back to kind of like, what's the one thing? For me, it's asking present-based questions, okay? So one of my favorite little things, and I, I already feel that you and I are on the same page on this, is when I'm doing a playing lesson or when I'm on the range with somebody, I will put them in, in very variable conditions, right? We're gonna, I, I'm very much into believing in that. Uh, just a side note, Colin Morikawa and I, 70% of our golf lessons throughout the years were on the golf course. They weren't on the range. Okay. Everything was about variability. Everything was about decision-making. Everything was about pattern recognition and immediate feedback and learning. Okay. Put that to the side. So now when I ask somebody, tell me about this lie of the ball. Okay. And I hear it's a good lie. I go, that's freaking irrelevant. Okay. I asked you, how is that? You know, so people want to tell me it's a good lie or a bad lie. I go right there. You're already setting the stage for potential trigger, right? This is a bad lie. It's an, it's an, divot. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah. That's irrelevant. Tell me, Hey, Rick, the ball's sitting in the back of a divot. Yeah. That's going to probably make the ball go lower. I'm going to put the ball back in stance. I'm gonna, now we got some problem solving. So I ask them to ask better questions, which helps their focus. It helps their decision-making. It helps them problem solve. So that's the thing in, in pre-shot routines where I will drill. I had one yesterday. Drill good players to really tell me what that variable is going to do. Because they get, they get too complacent. They get so, yeah, yeah, Rick, I just shot it to 152. I go, yeah. Is that what the shot's playing or not? Well, kind of. I go, don't give me kind of. Yeah. For good, good players, three to five yards is an eternity. Okay. Oh. Uh, you didn't tell me that potentially is a flyer lie. You didn't even pay attention that the wind's coming in here. You didn't pay attention that this green is firm as can be. And you're just telling me it's 152 because I use my little range finder because that's what I think the yardage is. So don't get me started on that. Um, so I want to ask better questions. I'm not saying they're going to still make good decisions because they may not have enough experience to know what that lie is. Totally get it. But if you ignore it or bypass it, to me, that's a disservice to your mental part of it, right? The first part is the mental state of paying attention to what's relevant. Now we can get into emotions, which is confidence stuff we talked about. And then there could be state management with breathing and other things that physically get us going. So that's the one thing I would say from a focus standpoint is asking relevant questions for the present moment. Yeah, That's what I drill in the most. Um, and then I get to hear real quickly if they are perceiving 
a shot the way I would. Okay. There might be some great learning and uh, that they don't know what an uphill lie is going to do. They may be yeah. great. That's a great opportunity for us now to figure that out instead of saying, well, Rick, oh my gosh, that ball went short left and uh, I got to work on my swing. I said, yeah, nothing to do with that. Upslope lie, it's going to go high, yeah. higher, it's going to go shorter, it's going to be pulled left. You didn't make that adjustment. Let's look at the decision before we looked at the physical. And that now segues me into the other thing I'm extremely passionate about, which is post-shot routine. Yeah. Okay. So again, I was a hothead. I would hit poor golf shot, didn't meet my expectations. Immediately was judgment and critical voice. You, I got careful of my language here. You stink, Rick. No, you we stole- had, we had, um, we had Stuart Morgan on a couple of weeks ago. The, the no swear policy is long gone, long gone after Stuart was on. There was a few, I mean, he, he gave enough for everyone that's ever spoken on this podcast. So you can, you can go. Uh, you suck, Rick, put the club away, <laughs> storm down the fairway. And, and it was only this reaction. It was only critical and judgmental. Okay. Now that ruined, I, I quit golf uh, for a six month stretch. Cause I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. I, I tell a story that one of my mentors, we walk off the golf course and she said, I'm never playing golf with you again. And it was like a shock to me. I said, what do you mean? I'm a good player. No, that has nothing to do with your, your behavior is awful. Okay. So I had to find a way to, how do I process these outcomes? And I did a horrible job back in the day. So I, I'm not saying I originated a post-shot routine, but not many people teach it or coach it. And I kind of have my own spin on it. To me, a, a, every shot is a learning opportunity and it's not about judgment. So I hit a ball 40 yards into the trees. I want to know why that went in there. I am not a believer and say, Hey, just forget about it, that you're in somebody's backyard, put a smile on your face. No, yeah. I think that's delusional. Okay. Yeah. I would want to know why that ball went left, but most people will just blame their swing. Well, Rick, the swing, I go, I get that cause and effect. I asked the mental question first, were you committed to the shot in the first place? Could have that been a mental uh, interference that could have led to a fast, um, swing and my, my default of club face closing could it have been right. So when I ask people to ask that question first, they go, Oh, I never thought about it that way. And now that I think about it, yeah, you know what, there was water on the right on that. And I didn't want to go right. Like I did yesterday. And I snap hooked it left. Okay. Let's be honest with ourselves. You were never committed to that shot in the first place. The fear of going right got in the way of the swing, which made it quick, which now the hands release the club. To me, that's a good learning opportunity. I'm not happy. I got to go still find that ball in the trees, but I can now process in a way of like, Hey, I got to work on that. I got to work on being committed. I got to still figure out a way to be confident. I don't think that's taught enough. I don't think that's coached enough. And so most people are going to be judgmental and I want them to be, um, I use the word curious one. It's one of my favorite words is I want to be curious uh, it doesn't mean I try to forget about it or, um, <laughs> again, we can go on a whole other route of, I, I, I may be different than other mental game coaches that say it's not about the outcome. It's only about the process. I said, why are we doing the process in the first place? And I don't get great answers on that. We do the process to get a damn good outcome. Yeah, the outcome so, yeah. so why don't we embrace outcomes, a good thing and something not to fear and something to go for when we're told it's not about the outcome. Don't think about the outcome. It's like, 
to me, that's NLP. Like, oh, I'm not supposed to think about outcome. That's a bad thing. Colin Morikawa, the night before he wins the Open Championship, one of the goals was, I want to win this tournament. Great. Let's embrace that. Yeah. And I may follow up and say, hey, what are some of the process goals you may have? What are some of the things? Hey, hey. And him and I know that he wants to talk every shot out with his caddy, JJ. And I'm going to have as much clarity on this picture as possible. Great. Now we have some behavior goals. But it's okay to say you want to be great at something. It's okay to say you want to shoot. So that's where I might be different than other coaches. But I think it's important because every shot people have this emotional attachment to anyways. We better have a post shot or a post round assessment that says, huh, how could I do that differently? I wonder why that happened is a lot different than you suck, Rick. That's awful. See, you can't drive the ball. Well, good luck with your belief system moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, at core, we set what, how, why, what do you want to happen? That's going to be your outcome. How are you going to get it? And you better have three or four hows for every what, and then why, why do you want it? Yes. Like, yes, because the, that's going to give you the motivation. And if you know why, you're probably, if you're tapped into that why, you're probably going to deal with adversity and deal with stress a little bit better than if, if, if you don't know why. So I, I, I do ask our kids to try and park the what when they're on the, the, the golf course. Or sure. if it comes into your mind, that's fine. Acknowledge it. But then go back into how, 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 process, process, process. So they're, they're going to they're gonna hear, again, they're going to be like, he's paid this guy. This is this is not fair. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up with you because I know you've got a hard stop in a yeah in a, in a few more minutes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I I do want to to end. I had a specific question. You know I'm I, I see what you do um, outside of of Colin, right? So I, I've watched you before Colin burst onto the scene, and I've read some of your stuff. And I always whenever you post on the forums, that would be one. That would be the one of 20 posts that I would probably spend some time reading because yeah, the, the, the forums are not always the best. Um, so, so I've followed you for a while. So I wanted to make this about you and, and, and your philosophy. But there is one thing that stands out um, about Colin that I, that I want to close the podcast on. Yes. And that, this is what I try and reiterate to, to, to the core students and my college players and, and even, the, even people that are older than Colin, I'm, I'm saying you got to you got to watch this guy for this reason. Um, and dude, it's his speeches. When he wins and he talks and his gratefulness and his perspective on life. And I'm like, you can't not root for this guy. You can't not. And I, I want that kind of class and that kind of perspective to, to shine through, especially in the young people that I coach. So my final question is what, what is fueling, what is fueling that? Like you're his coach, you, you play a big role in that, but what else is, is it, is it the parents? Is it like, what is going on? Cause the one he gave at the open. So look, my wife, she watches no golf, none. And she's watching and she's like, Oh, I like this guy. <laughs> and I'm like, you, how can you not? So if you can just elaborate on that. Sure. Because I, I would love to coach golf. And I know it's kind of cliche, but 
you know, we, we can have a big impact on the younger people's lives that we coach. So I, I would love just some advice for parents or coaches and, and just with reference to Colin and how we evolved this, this kind of mindset. Thank you for asking the question, because it's something that um, I feel that I want to bring to my coaching is, is a certain mindset, we'll call it. Um, yet, I'll take a very, very, very small um, uh, responsibility for Collins. Uh, I think you have somebody who grew up in a household where his parents uh, were extremely positive, supportive. There wasn't critical. Uh, there wasn't even judging me as a coach. It was, I want Colin to do what he loves. He loves golf. I want to help support him in this love of golf. And so something, and this is something that's been now proven through flow research and stuff like that is motivation is why are you doing the things you did? You just mentioned why are, why is this goal important? Why do you want to do this? That why is very important. I think early on, Colin has loved playing golf. Colin wants to master the game of golf, whether that means he wins this or is the top player in the world is in a way irrelevant, uh, but he's working towards that. But he honestly, he just loves golf. And I think he now with perspective of playing junior, playing college, playing for um, Americans in the Walker Cup, playing in the Ryder Cup, he starts to look at these things and look at it in a perspective like, this is pretty cool. Okay. And again, that's from him, not from me. Um, I think throughout the years, I've helped him understand this development and there are things of you playing at Cal Berkeley and that that's a, that's a great experience. That's a great opportunity. And I think he's always looked at these as, wow, these are opportunities that's not given to everyone. And he's got a, got, got a great head on his shoulder. Okay. Yeah. From a parent's perspective, his dad showed up to every single lesson from the age of eight to 18. Okay. Not one time did he debate me on, well, Rick, you know what? We should really work on his P2 position because it's a little inside. And I saw on, and this is before Instagram and stuff like that, but I, I heard this other player over there as he's it's like, he was just there and he said, Hey Rick, I don't want to get in the way. I just want to be here to where when I take Colin to go practice, if he forgets something you said, I just want to be able to say, Oh, you remember Rick said this. And I'm going, Oh my gosh, this is like, this a is dream. This, this is the dream scenario. Yeah. I have a parent who wants to support for the right reasons. Never do, was it, um, I know Colin has not won an AJGA event. Uh, why is this occurring? You know, he never was into outcomes and stuff like that. It was just he wanted to support his son with the passion for playing the game. Did he watch him play in tournaments as much as he watched in practice? Less or uh, more just yes. the same? Um, yes, I, I would think. And again, I don't think he was at a ton of the practices, but he would be. Um, but yes, he would travel with him and, and it would watch him playing tournaments. And, and yet it was, I never heard a negative thing back to me. Like, Oh, you should have seen Colin last tournament. He three putted twice. Oh my gosh, you got to fix this. Never. Brilliant. Okay? Yeah. And, and yet when we, we kept moving on, it was still about, yeah. At once Colin finally said, yeah, I want to be a, a, a really good player in college. And then real, they of course looked at me as, okay, what resources do we need? And I said, okay, well, I don't have all the answers. So, hey, maybe we'll get uh, Colin checked out with uh, 3D vest with uh, that. And maybe we'll get some force plate stuff. So I don't have all the answers, by the way. Yeah. Yet I felt that was a good hub to help develop yeah, that, him. 
that's a whole other podcast team. about being a part of becoming part of a team and bringing experts in. So I think that's right. play, probably plays a big role as well. And so I think also Colin realizes um, he has many friends and, and, and uh, competitors that he had in college that maybe weren't given the same opportunity as him. I mean, he gets to be on tour and he gets five, six, seven sponsors exemptions to get his PGA tour career started. Not everybody gets that. So I think he has a very good perspective on what it is. Now, he certainly took advantage of those opportunities. Don't get me wrong, but he's able to still um, compartmentalize and say, I was that's not doesn't happen for everybody. I worked my butt off to potentially get those. Um, and I just think he, he's just a, a great young man who does have a good head on his yeah. shoulder. Well, he proved me wrong because one of our students, Owen Blakely, picked him to win. And I was like, no, he's American. He hits it too high. It'll be too windy. Then <laughs> he absolutely destroyed the field. Owen turned you up to practice. Talk to me, but you got to talk to me before that. Yeah, Owen, Owen turned up to practice. He was like, hey, you see who won? I was like, yep, you were right. I was way wrong. So I'm, I'm, glad, you guys, uh, I'm glad you guys proved me wrong. Uh, and I'm going to pick him this week just based on that, right? I'm going to pick him <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the US Open just based on that. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. Rick, I really appreciate you being on. Um, uh, when you're up here in the, in the Boston area, if you yes. want to escape the chaos um, of the uh, of the US Open, just drop us a text. You can come and hang out at Core, or we grab Love some it. food or something like that. All right, sounds wonderful. I'll, uh, I'll let you go, and uh, I'll I'll be in touch, mate. Thanks so much. Thanks, mate. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Core Performance Podcast, your one-stop shop for getting to the core of all things golf and human performance. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Ian and Andrew, check us out on Instagram at Core Academy. We'll see you next time.